Welcome back to USMLE Listen Virology Chapter 1, an Intro to Virology. On this episode, we will go over some crucial USMLE exam-related facts on the different viruses and their general structure and morphology. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, there may be a renewed focus on virology on upcoming and future exams. On this Intro to Virology podcast, we will go over structure, replication, viral genetics, viral genomes of DNA and RNA, viral characteristics, their release, host resistance, viral patterns of infection, as well as their cellular effects. As always, please email us at usmlelisten at gmail.com for your questions, anything you need to be cleared, or suggestions on how we can improve and initiate your auditory learning for USMLE Step 1. Sources for USMLE Listen include First Aid Osmosis UWorld and Kaplan Study Guides. This is Mark Labella, and let's begin Virology Chapter 1. We begin with structure and morphology. The exam will be asking us a lot of questions on structure and morphology. First, let's go over naked viruses. We call them naked because they have no envelopes, of course. But the important thing to remember about them is that they have structural proteins. They're made of of either DNA or RNA, and they have a capsid with non-glycosylated proteins. Non-glycosylated. They can also have enzymes such as your polymerase. While your enveloped viruses have a nucleocapsid plus the host membrane with viral specified glycoproteins that are critical for infectiousness of viral progeny. They're kids. They have a nucleocapsid as the inner layer and they have glycoproteins that are embedded in the lipid matrix and the membrane. The mode of entry for an enveloped virus is fusion. And when I said fusion for an enveloped virus, fusion of plasma cell membrane with viral envelope is important for your enveloped viruses. Except for influenza, which is an exception and it uses receptor mediated endocytosis, but it requires acidic pH and vesicles. An enveloped virus can have a receptor binding of glycoprotein to the cell surface receptor, such as a glycoprotein or a carbohydrate. Ahem, like coronavirus. While a naked virus can use receptor-mediated endocytosis. A naked virus, it has a self-surface receptor or a glycoprotein that binds to viral non-glycosylated protein. Let's talk about uncoding of the viruses. An uncoding of an enveloped virus occurs while the membranes fuse. Or when the pH is acidic, so it's fusion with an early endosome as it leaves. The genome remains coded by nucleocapsid proteins. While a naked virus, its uncoding is a degradation of the coat by host cell's acidic pH and proteases. And the coat gets degraded as the virus moves through the cytoplasm and arrives at the nucleus. Now let's talk about the genomes and where they migrate after the encoding. They're either going to go to the nucleus or they're going to go to the cytoplasm. Genomes that migrate to the nucleus post-encoding include single-stranded DNA, double-stranded DNA, partial double-stranded DNA, as well as retroviruses. Which are RNA. They get transported there by the host or viral proteins on their surface. And genomes that stay in the cytoplasm post-encoding include poxDNA, which is a double-stranded DNA or all RNA genomes except for influenza. And retroviruses? To be perfectly specific, there are two types of RNA viruses that replicate in the nucleus, and they are orthomyxiviridae, which include your influenza viruses, and also retroviruses, which include your HIV and HTLV. 
all other RNA viruses replicate in the cytoplasm. And like the pox virus is the only double strand DNA that's like in the cytoplasm too, right? That's true. All DNA viruses require a nucleus except for the pox virus. So yes, the pox virus replicates in the cytoplasm. So here's a USMLE exam question example on how that will be asked. An investigator studies various life cycles. So he takes cells and he creates a culture that is suitable for a large variety of viral agents. So in one experiment, he removes the nuclei of these cells and viruses are added to the culture. Which of the following viruses will survive and replicate inside these cells that lack the nucleus? And the choices are A. Coronavirus B. Adenovirus C. Influenza virus D. The HIV virus or E. The polio virus and there we have a trick question. The answer is both A and E, coronavirus and poliovirus. There are two types of RNA viruses that replicate in the nucleus. All other RNA viruses replicate in the cytoplasm. That's true. And in regards to the DNA viruses, all DNA viruses require a nucleus except for the pox virus. We already know that the coronavirus is an RNA virus. And why the poliovirus? Because the polio virus is an RNA virus which survive and replicate in the cytoplasm. Remember, all RNA viruses replicate in the cytoplasm except for your orthomyxoviruses and your retroviruses. Poliovirus belongs to a group of viruses called Picornaviridae and we'll remember that through our PERCH mnemonic. Polio, echo, rhino, coxsackie, and HAV. I like that you mentioned that because repetition is key, but before we get into that, let's go over some viral structures. Structure number one. Naked viruses are usually icosahedral capsids, and the basic structure will be a capsid and nucleic acid. Structure number two. An enveloped virus with an icosahedral capsid. From outermost to innermost, its components include a surface protein, lipid bilayer, followed by a capsid, and the innermost ingredient is your nucleic acid. Structure number three. This third structure is enveloped virus with helical capsid. I think it's pronounced helical. And from the outermost, you have your surface protein followed by your lipid bilayer, and inside is a helical capsid with the viral RNA. Hello, didn't I just say helical? Your coronavirus is an example of your helical capsid. And it's important to remember that there are no naked helical viruses. All of them are enveloped. Viral structure number four. And that is the bacteriophage. These are crazy looking things with a head and a neck and some legs or spikes below it. So in the head part, you will have a capsid and inside that capsid is nucleic acid. DNA RNA. And there's a collar in the neck region followed by a helical sheath. And inside this long helical sheath that looks like a rod is a core. And below that are a set of spikes and a base plate. And those leg looking things are otherwise known as tail fibers. Speaking of structure, the exam is going to ask us or refer to viral structures on what certain viruses look like. For example, you may know the disease and you may know what virus causes that exact disease. However, all your choices are going to be about the structure of the virus. That makes it a two-step question or a three-step question. So let's begin with learning DNA viruses that are enveloped. There are three enveloped DNA viruses. And from largest to smallest, those are pox virus, herpes virus, and hepadna virus. 
Pox, herpes, and hepadna are enveloped DNA viruses. An interesting fact about these three DNA viruses is that one of them is the largest DNA virus, and it is the only one that is not icosahedral. Actually, they vary on the species, but are generally shaped like a brick or as an oval form because they are wrapped by the endoplasmic reticulum. If it wasn't clear already, pox viruses are exceptionally large DNA-enveloped viruses. As he said, I was referring to the pox virus. It's the largest DNA virus, it's enveloped, and it's the only one out of the DNA viruses that's not icosahedral. Now to the naked DNA viruses, and I'll give you the mnemonic PAP for do a PAP smear on your naked DNA viruses. P-A-P-P, -P, P for parvovirus, A for adenovirus, and the double P's for polyoma and papilloma, which are structurally similar viruses, and we will discuss more in depth at a later time. Do a PAP smear on naked DNA. P for parvo, A for adeno, double P's for polyoma and papilloma. Can we like remind not to confuse between polio and polyoma? Oh absolutely, polioma is a naked DNA virus, while polio or poliovirus is a type of picornavirus which is an SS positive and non-enveloped naked RNA virus included in your PERCH mnemonic. And speaking of parvoviruses, parvoviruses or the PERV is the smallest out of all the DNA viruses and it is the only one that is not double stranded. All DNA viruses are double stranded except for the naked perv. The naked perv is single stranded and linear and it is the smallest DNA virus. And what does the perv cause? Parvovirus B19. Or pervovirus B19. The naked perv is small and single and linear. Now there are a lot of RNA viruses and most of them are enveloped. So the important thing is memorizing the RNA viruses that are naked which are only four of them. But since repetition is key and it's important to know which ones are enveloped, let's go over some of them. Flaviviruses are enveloped and flaviviruses include HCV, yellow fever, dengue, St. Louis encephalitis, West Nile virus, and the Zika virus. Flaviviruses are enveloped RNA. Your toga virus are also enveloped, and toga virus give rise to your chingukuya, your rubella, eastern and western equine encephalitis. A toga is something to wear, so toga viruses are enveloped, not naked. Your retroviruses are also RNA-enveloped viruses, and those are the viruses that cause HTLV and HIV. The coronavirus is also enveloped, and so are orthomyxoviruses, which cause influenza, paramyxoviruses, which cause your parainfluenza, RSV, measles, and mumps, rhabdoviruses, which cause rabies, filoviruses, which cause your Ebola and Marburg fever, arenaviruses, which cause your LCMV and your Lassa fever, your bunyaviruses, which cause your California encephalitis, sandfly, or rift valley fevers, crimean congo hemorrhagic fevers, and the hantavirus, as well as your delta viruses are also enveloped RNA viruses, and the delta virus causes HDV or hepatitis D for delta. And now to the four that I promised that are naked RNA viruses that you should always remember. And I will give you a mnemonic. I ran CPR on a naked hippie. You ran for RNA and naked for the naked. 
So you ran CPR, RNA viruses, CPR stands for Khaleesi, Picorna, Rio virus. And when I talk about the naked hippie, it stands for the naked hepa virus. I ran CPR on a naked hippie. The C in CPR stands for Khaleesi virus or the Khaleesi virus family, which represents your norovirus. And noroviruses cause viral gastroenteritis. Your picornavirus family has your perch mnemonic. Naked perch stands for P for polio, E for echo, R for rhino, C for cocksackie, and H for HAV or hepatitis. A. Your rheovirus family is the one responsible for your cultivirus and rotavirus. And finally, hepavirus for your naked hippie. The hepavirus family includes your HEV, which is your hepatitis E. And those are the four naked RNA viruses. And let's combine all the nakedness together and create one naked viral mnemonic. And that is do pap smears and run CPR to a naked hippie. That's four DNA viruses and four RNA viruses to remember. And they're all naked. Before we move on, there's some important good-to-know mnemonics. Let's start with DNA viral genomes. All DNA viruses have double-stranded DNA except for your parvovirus. Parvovirus or the perv, as I said earlier, is a single-stranded DNA. All DNA viruses are linear except for papilloma, polyoma, and hepadna. Those are circular. All DNA viruses are linear except for papilloma, polyoma, and hepadna. All DNA viruses are like linear, except for papilloma, polyoma, and hepadna. Papilloma, polyoma, and hepadna are circular. Now to the RNA viral genomes. All RNA viruses have ssRNA genomes, or single-stranded RNA genomes, except for Rioviridae. And that's because Rioviridae is a double-stranded RNA. Rioviridae is dsRNA. All RNAs are single-stranded except for Rioviridae. And we'll go over positive and negative strands later on, but one thing to remember before we move on is a mnemonic for positive-stranded RNA viruses. And the mnemonic is... I went to a retro toga party where I drank flavored Corona and ate hippie California pickles. And so that it gets stuck in your head, here's another way of remembering the positive-stranded RNA mnemonic. I went to a retro toga party where I drank flavored Corona and ate hippie California pickles. So the positive-stranded RNA viruses are, I went to a retro, retrovirus, toga party, toga virus, where I drank a flavored, flavy virus, Corona, coronavirus, and ate hippie, hepavirus. California, Khaleesi virus, pickles, coronavirus, positive stranded RNA viruses. I went to a retro toga party where I drank flavored Corona and ate hippie California pickles. Positive stranded RNA. And let's talk about naked viral genome infectivity. Purified nucleic acids of most DSDNA or double-stranded DNA viruses, except pox virus and HBV or hepatitis B, as in Bravo, and positive-strand SSRNA, otherwise known as mRNA viruses, are infectious. Naked nucleic acids of negative-stranded SSRNA and DSRNA viruses are not infectious. They require polymerases 
that are contained within the complete virion. Negative RNAs need polymerase. And remember that mnemonic I said earlier about do pap smears and run CPR to a naked hippie? This other mnemonic is about not naked, enveloped DNA viruses. And that's have helpful protection. Enveloped DNA, have helpful protection, which include herpes virus, hepanavirus, and pox virus. Enveloped DNA, have helpful protection, herpes, hepadna, and pox. Speaking of DNA, there are other DNA virus characteristics we need to go over. General rules are Number one DNAs are happy viruses. H-H-A-P-P-P-P-Y Happy is spelled H-H-A-P-P-P-P-Y. That's four P's and two H's. And happy viruses are hepadna, herpes, adeno, pox, parvo, papilloma, and polyoma. DNAs are happy viruses. Number two. The next general rule that we need to remember is that the DNAs are double-stranded except for parvoviruses. The small naked perv is single. Number three. Another general rule for DNA viruses is that they have linear genomes. DNA have mostly linear genomes. They're linear except for papilloma and polyoma, which are circular and supercoiled, and hepadna, which is circular and incomplete. Papilloma and polyoma are circular and supercoiled. Hepadna is circular but incomplete. Number four. The next general rule for DNA viruses is they are icosahedral, except for the pox virus, and that the pox virus is known as a complex virus. Pox is complex, not icosahedral. Number five. And the last general we need to remember about DNA viruses are that they replicate in the nucleus. And there is an exception to that as well. The exception is the pox virus, which carries its own DNA-dependent RNA polymerase. All DNA viruses replicate in the nucleus except the pox virus. OMG, that's why the pox virus is like so huge and complex because it carries its own polymerase. <laughs> I guess so. And that concludes for the generalities. Let's move on to the next section on viral genetics. Yay! Now we're going to move into one of our tougher sections called genetic virology. If you need something cleared up or something just doesn't make any sense, please feel free to email us at usmlelisten at gmail.com. We'll start with our first term, which makes it fairly easy, and that's interference. In football, interference happens when you stop someone from catching a pass, and that's exactly what happens with viruses. Interference happens, or interference occurs, when one virus inhibits replication and or release of a second virus that is infecting the same cell. Simple interference would not result in any genetic changes, especially in the progeny of the variants, or any effect in the recombinant of such progeny. Viral interference is also known as a super infection resistance, which is the inhibition of viral reproduction caused by previous exposure of cells to another virus. Interference is like viral cock blocking. I guess so, and with that we move on. Here's a USMLE term that we should absolutely be familiar with in terms of viral genetics, and that is recombination. Recombination. So recombination is the exchange between two chromosomes by crossing over within regions of significant base sequence homology. So here we're referring to the genetic exchange that occurs through the crossing over of two double-stranded DNA molecules. Two double-stranded DNA molecules. So earlier when I said exchanges between two chromosomes, I'm referring to two viruses that have non-segmented, double-stranded DNA genomes. 
DNA. And we're crossing them over within homologous regions. That will result in a progeny that can have recombined genomes with traits of both parents. So when we have two viruses that have significant sequence similarities, crossing over of genetic information will likely occur and with relatively high frequencies. Recombination. Exchange between two chromosomes via homologous regions. Recombination has a lot to do with chromosomes and DNA and how they cross over within regions of significant base sequence homology. The next term that we need to know about is reassortment. Reassortment. So what exactly is reassortment? It's when viruses with segmented genomes segmented genomes exchange genetic material. Reassortment is essentially changes in the genomic composition that occur when host cells are co-infected with two different types of segmented viruses that exchange whole genome segments. This process can cause sudden alterations in surface antigen of the viral progeny and you can see that in things like the influenza virus because your orthomyxovirus is one of those segmented viruses. Reassortment does not happen when the viruses are not segmented so it's important for us to remember what our segmented viruses are and here's your mnemonic. Now boarding flight 3A2 in 10 to 12 minutes. Board B-O-A-R are segmented viruses. Now boarding flight 3A2 in 10 to 12 minutes. B stands for bunya with three segments. O for orthomyxoviruses in eight segments. A for arena viruses in two segments. Rio for rio viruses, which is seen in 10 to 12 segments. A big and important example is going to be your 2009 novel H1N1 influenza virus. There was a pandemic that emerged via the complex viral reassortment of genes from human, swine, and avian viruses. So these segments sort of reassorted themselves and, reassortment. and created a virus that was more dangerous than the previous. It crossed species lines to create what was ultimately the H1N1 influenza virus. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call an antigenic shift. Reassortments cause antigenic shifts. Before we move on, I think it's important to talk about what the difference is between your antigenic drift and antigenic shift. An antigenic drift is a natural process whereby mutations or mistakes occur during replication in the encoding genes or in the encoding antigens that produce alterations in the way they appear to the immune system or antigenic changes. We have to know that all genetic mutations will result in antigenic changes and it all depends on their positions in their triplet code and if they change or produce that does not affect the region of the protein recognized by the immune system. But an antigenic shift, which happens in our reassortment, an example that we're talking about is like influenza A. It has eight segments and one of those segments can easily swap out or re-encode another segment. And that shift can radically alter a host immune system's ability to recognize a virus. And this is why influenza outbreaks are so common. These viruses are known to transmit zoonotically as some strains can affect multiple species across pigs, across birds across human beings. Antigenic shift is much scarier. An antigenic shift generates novel lineages or new lineages to which immunity is therefore very poor across a population, which is why pandemics are almost always a result of antigenic shifts. Shifts are shitty. 
Next term is complementation. Complementation. When you think of complementation, think of one virus. Hepatitis D, as in Delta. Hepatitis D, as in Delta, for complementation. Complementation happens when one of two viruses that infect the cell has a mutation that results in a non-functional protein. The non-mutated virus complements the mutated one by making a functional protein that serves both viruses. For example, hepatitis D or Delta virus requires the presence of the replicating hepatitis B or Bravo virus to supply the HB or Bravo surface antigen, the envelope protein for HDV as in Delta virus. Without hepatitis B infection, hepatitis D as in Delta can't do anything, and thus requiring complementation. Important to remember that complementation is a non-genetic interaction. That means there is no mixing of genes. They're just complementing them and helping them function and replicate. And cause damage. The next term is phenotypic mixing. Phenotypic mixing. Phenotypic mixing can occur when a host cell is co-infected with two viral strains and progeny variants contain the parental genome from one strain and a nucleocapsular envelope from the other strain. This will result in a progeny that acquires additional traits. For example, enhanced abilities to infect new host cells due to the different nucleocapsid proteins. However, a big however with phenotypic mixing is that the genome is unchanged and it's unchanged in subsequent progeny that would not retain any of these other traits. So for example, let's say you have virus A and virus B. In the first progeny, or the first kids that it has, the genome of virus A can be partially or completely coded, forming a pseudovirion with the surface proteins of virus B. Type B protein code determines the tropism or infectivity of the hybrid virus. Then, progeny from a subsequent infection of a cell by progeny 1 will have type A code with type A genetic material. So in effect, there really was no change in the line of succession after Progeny 1. The kids of the kids will be normal. In layman's terms, the kids of the kids will essentially be normal and would not retain the traits. Phenotypic mixing. One cell with two viral strains. Progeny 1 with additional traits. Progeny 2 and so on remain unchanged. So after all that hoopla, virus A literally just borrowed virus B's coat. But the genetic information of virus A, after progeny 2 on down, they are all still virus A. Just remember that phenotypic mixing is a non-genetic interaction. You're just borrowing the coat, guys. You're not mixing genes. Just to make sure you got my drift here. Drift, I get it. <laughs> Here is a USMLE exam type of question. A virologist is researching a cyclovir-resistant herpes simplex or HSV. Viral DNA analysis reveals a mutation in the thymidine kinase gene resulting in a mutated enzyme that does not phosphorylate a cyclovir to its active form. In an experiment, a resistant HSV type 2 strain containing this mutation is cultured in a cell line and the cell culture is co-infected with a non-resistant HSV type 1 strain. It is found that some of the newly produced type 1 variants acquire resistance to acyclovir and subsequent progeny continue to be resistant. Which of the following mechanisms best explains the observed findings? A. Interference B. Phenotypic mixing 
C. Reassortment D. Recombination or E. Transformation The answer is D for recombination. Alright, so why recombination? First, let's look at the fact that they're both HSV or herpes simplex viruses. So they're going to have significant base sequence homologies. The second thing we need to look at is the fact that there's interaction on a genetic level, especially since we're talking about the thymidase kinase gene. And it's not just the envelope proteins. Exchange of genetic information will break us down between two choices, reassortment or recombination. But look at the type of virus we're dealing with. We're dealing with an HSV virus, which is a non-segmented virus. If this was segmented, then we'd most likely be looking at a reassortment. Reassortment is segmented viruses only. And we're not talking about the code or infectivity here, which would involve phenotypic mixing or complementation. We're talking about two chromosomes crossing over and exchanging genetic information. HSV or herpes are non-segmented double-stranded DNA genomes. And the resulting progeny have recombined genes with traits from both parent viruses. And in this case, it's thymidine kinase genes in HSV type 1 and 2 virions that are likely to have significant sequence similarities, allowing them to cross over. It's not interference because interference occurs when one virus cock blocks another. It's not phenotypic mixing. It's when a host cell is co-infected with two strains which contain parental genomes from one strain and a nucleoclapsid from another strain. And then progeny one acquiring traits with enhanced abilities and then subsequent genome remain unchanged? No, not reassortment because reassortment refers to changes in genomic composition with two segmented viruses. And it's not transformation because transformation is really related to bacteria and how naked DNA gets sucked in by prokaryotic or eukaryotic cell and incorporates that viral DNA or that DNA in a host cell. So the answer can only be recombination. And that's it for this section of Viral Genetics. Yay! And now let's review viral replication. And before we start, there's one important fact to remember. All envelope viruses get the membranes from cell membranes, except for the herpes viruses, which get their membranes from the nuclear membrane. Herpes viruses are the only ones that get their membranes from the nuclear membrane. Herpes. Alright, now let's move on to viral replication. Number one, attachment. The first one is attachment to specific host cell receptors. This binding determines what cell can be infected, aka tropism. Number two. Penetration. Number two, or viral penetration, talks about how the viral capsid or the genome is injected into the host cell cytoplasm. And viral entry can either happen through membrane fusion, performed by most of our viruses that have viral envelopes, or endocytosis, which the host cell takes in the viral particle through the process of endocytosis, engulfing the virus like it would a food particle. And we'll usually see these with naked viruses usually, but there are some exceptions. Number three, uncoding. So number three is uncoding, which is the release of the nucleic acid. Number four, macromolecular synthesis. Now you have your early mRNA and protein synthesis. Proteins are there to shut off host cell. Proteins are also there to replicate a viral genome if needed, followed by replication of the genome. And with late mRNA and protein synthesis, you will have your structural proteins. Number five, post-translational modification. Number five relates to your post-translational modification 
of the proteins. Post-translation modification refers to the chemical modification of a protein after its creation or translation. This modification can affect protein behavior of your viruses such as your gene expression. And when I say post-translation modification, I'm referring to things like phosphorylation, glycosylation, acetylation, methylation, ubiquitylation, and sulfation, which all need to happen before Number six, assembly. Step six is where all the viral particles get created. Number seven, release. Number seven's easy. It's releasing. So it lyses the cell or the accumulation of viral particles but out from the cell. Arthropod-borne viruses are referred to as arboviruses. They mostly belong to three formal taxonomic groups, Togaviruses, Flaviviruses, and Bunyaviruses. Arboviruses are TFB, T for Toga, F for Flavi, B for Bunya. Togavirus and cephalitis viruses are otherwise known as alpha viruses. The vectors for arthropod-borne viruses are mosquitoes, which are the most common vectors, or ticks, midges, and sandfly, which are less common. Again, let's talk about attachment one more time. Viruses bind through specific interaction with the host cell surface components and specific viral surface glycoproteins of envelope viruses or specific viral surfaces of naked viruses. These interactions and the distribution of the receptors determine viral host range. Or number two is tissue specificity, which can be seen in liver or heart, otherwise known as tropism. There are specific viral receptors that we have to know for the exam, and these are HIV. The target cell for HIVs are your T helper cells, macrophages, and microglia. HIV targets your T helper cells, macrophages, and microglia. The very important receptors to know on host cells for HIV are CD4 plus CCR5 or CXCR4. HIV receptors include CD4 plus CCR5 or CXCR4. Two. EBV or the Epstein Barr virus targets B lymph. The receptor on the host cell is CD21 equals a CR2. CR2 means complement receptor type 2, also known as complement C3D receptor. It is the Epstein virus receptor and the CD21 or cluster differentiation factor 21, which is a protein that is encoded by the CR2 gene. Epstein-Barr virus can bind to CR2, enabling Epstein-Barr virus or EBV to enter and infect your B cells. CD21 equals CR2. Let's move on to rabies. The rabies virus, or rhabdoviridae, targets your neurons, and its receptor on host cell is your acetylcholine receptor. Rabies for acetylcholine receptors. Four. The rhinovirus. Which is like one of our naked viruses under the picornavirus perch. The rhinovirus. Its target is the respiratory epithelial cells, and the receptor on host cell is ICAM-1. ICAM-1 means intercellular adhesion molecule 1, also known as CD54. But just remember, rhinovirus ICAM-1. 5. The next one is coronavirus. Coronavirus is very important, especially with what's going on around the world. The target cells for your coronavirus are respiratory epithelial cells. The receptor on the host cell are ACE2 receptors. ACE2 stands for angiotensin converting enzyme TA. Which are the most common in the type 2 alveolar cells in the lungs. Coronavirus, ACE2 receptors, common in type 2 alveolar cells. 
Now let's talk about the difference between the naked and enveloped viruses. And I'm going to start with a little question for you. Which group is inactivated by heat, detergents, acid, and organic solvents like ether and alcohols? And the answer are enveloped viruses. Enveloped viruses are inactivated by heat, detergents, and ether and alcohols. Why? Because they have lipid envelopes that hold the glycoproteins essential for attachment. Dissolving that envelope will inhibit attachment and therefore uptake. Naked viruses are the ones that are not inactivated by heat and they can stay strong and stay alive even with detergents and alcohols and solvents around. That's why with COVID-19, which is an envelope virus, 60% alcohol and above are considered effective. Naked viruses are considered much more stable, thus increasing chances of infection. Stomach acid can destroy the cell envelope. That's why no envelope viruses can cause GI infections. But there are exceptions. It has been found that SARS-CoV-2 can live in the gastrointestinal system because those tissues like the lungs are lined with cells containing ACE2 receptors. The influenza virus is also known to cause GI symptoms because it can live in the digestive tract. Influenza viruses, which are orthomyxoviruses, and they are enveloped. However, they are different from other enveloped viruses. Influenza is different. And that influenza viruses bind through hemagglutinin onto sialic acid sugars on the surfaces of epithelial cells. And after hemagglutinin is cleaved by a protease, the cell imports the virus through endocytosis as opposed to membrane fusion like you would on most enveloped viruses. Influenza for endocytosis. Six. CMV or cytomegalovirus targets integrins or heparin sulfate. Seen in your epithelial mucosa. CMV, integrins or heparin sulfate. Seven. The next virus we have to remember for the exam is parvovirus. Parvovirus targets your red blood cells. And what is it on your red blood cells? The P in parvovirus attacks your P antigen. LMJ, the naked parvlex appear on the arbiter. Some viruses have intermediate steps on how they replicate. Let's say, for example, the first one, which is the DNA virus. DNA viruses take a negative strand of genome, and that negative strand serves as a template to make mRNA. There is no intermediates, and they go straight to creating that mRNA. But there are exceptions. Double-stranded DNA, such as the hepatitis V virus, has a reverse transcriptase in its polymerase. So for this DNA virus, it has an intermediate or replicated form, forming an ssRNA before it can create create a progeny genome, another double-stranded DNA. In terms of naked viral genome infectivity, purified nucleic acid and most double-stranded DNA viruses, except pox viruses and HBV or hepatitis B viruses, and positive single-stranded RNA viruses are infectious. While naked nucleic acids of negative strand single-stranded RNA and double-stranded RNA viruses are not infectious. Negative are not infectious. Unless if they have what? They have polymerases that are contained in the complete virion itself. So why can the positive sense RNAs do that and the negative sense RNAs can't? Just remember the basic rule of replication. These positive sense viruses have the ability to function as a messenger RNA and they have the potential to be translated directly into protein inside the host. So viruses like your polio, your echo, your rhino, your coxsackie, and your HAVs in your percornaviruses, your flaviviruses like your HCV and your yellow fever, your dengue, even your COVID-19 virus are positive positive-stranded RNA viruses. 
with the positive RNA retroviruses, mRNA is transcribed from the DSDNA intermediate. Positive RNA retroviruses transcribe double-stranded DNA as an intermediate. So when I say positive, it means that an RNA can serve as an mRNA or a messenger RNA for translation or for the retroviruses, it has the same sequence. And the enzyme for retroviruses is called reverse transcriptase, while the enzyme for hepatitis B that's like a in Bravo. It's called DNA polymerase. Before we move on, let's talk a little bit of replication of the genomic nucleic acid. Progeny viruses or the kid viruses have a nucleic acid sequence identical to the parent virus. We must remember that all single-stranded RNA viruses replicate through a replicative intermediate. If the parental genomic sequence is a bunch of U's, then the progeny must have the same sequence. To make poly-U's, a replicative intermediate of a bunch of A's would be required. The replicative intermediate is used to make the poly you. A little bit more about release of viruses here. Naked viruses lyse the host cells, but just remember that there are no persistent productive infections with naked viruses, only a cytolytic productive or latent infections. Oh yeah, we can like totally see it in our naked viruses. Let's go over the naked mnemonic one more time. Tip tap smears and run CPR in the naked hippie. Exactly. Naked DNA viruses on DuPAP are Pavo, Adeno, Papilloma, and Polyoma. And for naked RNA viruses, we run CPR on the naked hippie. Khaleesi virus, picornavirus, which includes the perch viruses, polio, echo, rhino, coxsackie, HAV, rioviridae, and hepavirus, aka hep E virus. Release of envelope viruses, however, are budding and it leads to cell senescence or aging. But cells may produce a low level of virus for years, as what you see in chronic hepatitis B, as in Bravo. The glycoproteins on the enveloped viral surface are essential for viral infectivity in terms of the enveloped viruses. Yay! The succeeding virology chapters are going to talk about specific viruses and group them such as DNA viruses and RNA viruses. But for now, let's talk about the most common age groups for viral infections. In utero, the viruses that we are concerned about are cytomegalovirus, rubella, HSV2, HIV, and B19 or parvovirus B19. With all these viruses that we have to worry about, number one most common congenitally acquired virus is your cytomegalovirus or your CMV. CMV. The most congenitally acquired virus. Let's move on from in utero to at birth, which we are concerned with two more viruses, and they are hepatitis B and HSV1. At birth, at B and HSV1. And with that, let's move on to infancy. Viruses and infants. In infancy, we're concerned about four viruses. One. RSV or respiratory syncytial virus causing bronchiolitis. Two. Parainfluenza causing CRU. Three. Rotavirus causing infant diarrhea. Four. And it's from infancy on that we start worrying about influenza. Infancy, RSV, parainfluenza, rotavirus, influenza. In children, we worry about rubella once again and B19 and the addition of five more viruses, which are measles, mumps, hepatitis A, epidemic gastroenteritis, or the Norwalk virus, or varicella, otherwise known as chickenpox. As we become older and we become senior citizens, three more viruses become bigger concerns. Of course, we know about COVID-19 currently affecting all age groups, especially the elderly. But we're also talking about one, 
Hair cell zoster causing shingles. Two. St. Louis encephalitis. Three. And West Nile virus. Now let's move on to host resistance to viral infections. Primary defenses include the skin barrier. These dead keratinized cells are impervious to viruses. The second thing is that our skin actually has acids and other inhibitors that are produced by normal bacterial flora. And three, mucociliary elevators. Now let's talk about your immune defense. Your innate immune defense response includes interferon, which are unique as a defense against viruses, complement, and natural killer cells. Adaptive immunity response includes your antibodies and your cytotoxic T lymphocytes. Adaptive immune response antibodies and cytotoxic T cells. Now let's talk about interferons and why I said they're unique as a defense mechanism against viruses. Interferons are a family of eukaryotic cell proteins classified according to the cell origin. Interferon alpha and interferon beta are produced by a variety of virus infected cells. One. They act on target cells to inhibit viral application. Two. Do not act directly on the virus itself. Three. Are not virus specific. Four and are species-specific. Interferon inhibits viral protein synthesis in two ways. The first, through activation of RNA endonuclease which digests viral RNA. Interferon activates RNA endonuclease. And the second is, two, by activation through phosphorylation of protein kinase that inactivates elongation factor 2, thus inhibiting viral protein synthesis. It's also important to remember that exogenous human interferon, which is produced by recombinant DNA technology may be used in antiviral therapy for chronic and active hepatitis B and hepatitis C infections. Though we have some conflicting studies regarding COVID-19 and interferon usage, the Cleveland Clinic Review focused on what was called a third front of therapeutic treatment with type 1 and type 2 interferons. And remember that interferons are cytokines and they may contribute to morbidity and mortality, but some studies suggest a need for strategies that deliver interferon therapeutically and may help in virus clearance. But because interferon can contribute to inflammation and tissue damage, careful consideration must be given to the types of interferon to be used as well as the timing and method of administration. Mark, can you like talk about the meaning of like type 1 and type 2 interferons? Alright, alright, I'll go over it really quickly so I'll have some more stuff to talk about in the immunology chapter. Type 1 interferons are All type 1 interferons bind to a specific cell surface receptor complex known as the interferon alpha or interferon beta receptor. So the type 1 interferons present in humans are most significantly interferon alpha and interferon beta. These type 1 interferons are produced when the body recognizes a virus that has invaded it. They are produced by fibroblasts and monocytes, and the production of interferon alpha type 1 is inhibited by another cytokine known as interleukin 10. Once released, type 1 interferons bind to specific receptors on target cells which leads expression of proteins that will prevent the virus from producing and replicating its RNA and DNA. Interferon alpha and interferon beta are produced by fibroblasts and monocytes and inhibited by interleukin 10. While type 2 interferons are otherwise known as interferon gamma. This is also known as immune interferon and is activated by interleukin 12. Type 2 interferons are also released by cytotoxic T cells and type 1 helper T cells. But interferon type 2 or interferon gamma 
block the proliferation of type 2 helper T-cells. Gamma helps Th1, blocks Th2. And thus, in effect, interferon gamma results in an inhibition of T-helper cells type 2 immune response and a further induction of the Th1 or T-helper cell 1 immune response. Mark, it's important to be absolutely clear here. Interferon gamma will increase your T-helper 1 cells, thus increasing the activation of macrophages and cytotoxic T-cells. Interferon gamma, however, blocks Th2 or T-helper 2 cells, thus decreasing the activation of eosinophils and IgE. And remember, interleukin-12 induces the production of interferon gamma. So let's get to the specific interferon, starting with interferon alpha. IFN alpha or interferon alpha has well-known antiviral activity and has been used in the treatment of hepatitis B and C infections. Within cancer therapy, interferon alpha has shown promise in the treatment of hairy B-cell leukemia, chronic myelogenous leukemia, and Kaposi sarcoma. Interferon beta. Now to interferon beta. It was the first drug shown to have a positive effect on young adults with multiple sclerosis. Patients treated with interferon beta enjoy longer periods of remission and reduced severity of relapses. Interferon gamma. Interferon gamma is being used in the treatment of chronic renalomatous disease or CGD. This molecule is a potent inducer of macrophage activation and a promoter of inflammatory responses. Its application appears to significantly reverse the CGD patient's inability to generate toxic oxygen metabolites inside phagocytic cells. The side effects of interferon therapy are fortunately mild and can be managed with acetaminophen. They include headache, fevers, chills, and fatigue, and diminish with continued treatment. And let's bridge that to biochemistry. The production of interferon and most immunologic cytokines is under the control of, of the transcription factor NF-kappa-B, NF -B. otherwise known as nuclear factor kappa light chain enhancer of activated B cells. Cytokines by that about wraps us up for the introduction to virology. On the next podcast, let's get into the specific viruses and the questions that we're gonna see on the exam. Thank you for checking out USMLE Listen Virology Chapter 1. This is Intro and General Virology. As always, please email us at usmlelisten at gmail.com for your questions, anything you need clarification on, or suggestions on how we can improve and initiate your auditory learning for the USMLE Step 1. Sources for USMLE Listen include First Aid, Osmosis, UWorld, and Kaplan Study Guides. This is Mark Labella. You can follow or message me on Instagram at markjlabella. That's M-A-R-K-J-L-A-B-E-L-L-A. -L 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 -L